Good morning, Door Creek. I'm Pastor David, one of the pastors here at Door Creek. Good to be here this morning. Good to see you and good to be seen this morning. Thank you so much for coming out. All right, uh, we are, um, we, we thank the Lord for the brass that was here this morning playing for us. Uh, they're usually in the chapel. Yes, great music, great music and worship team. All right, we are continuing our series on hope in the Hope Series, the Hope Series, Chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And we're going to continue that on. Um, our title is Hope in Community. So we're going to be looking at three aspects of community, three aspects, three institutions that God has divinely ordained in community, three institutions, family, church, and government. And we use government sort of broadly as several things that fall under government. That's anything, relatively anything in the community, um, you know, we'll, we'll put schools under that. Um, law enforcement and, and various things under that. So we're going to look at that and we're going to break it down and we're going to just encourage our hearts as Peter encourages us to be hopeful even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of being persecuted and, and being in crisis. And so we're going we're gonna to look at these three institutions and explain how these institutions are in crisis that um, Christ ordained them, but these institutions are under attack. They're in crisis. And I often say, don't wait for a crisis to realize who Christ is. Don't wait for a crisis to happen in your life for you to realize who Christ is. Christ is our hope. Christ is our salvation. Christ is our joy. Christ is our peace. Christ is our salvation. And so... Christ is everything, Amen. right? Amen. So we just, just, just put it there. Christ is everything. Amen. And so we're going to look at how he's our help and he's our hope um, through these institutions and how we survive them, how we come out of them, and how we even maintain while we're going through it. So we're going to look at some, some countercultural things. We're going to look at some things that um, one might look at today and say, oh, that's, that's so old, old school. That's, that's not even relative today. But it is because the word never loses its relativity. Word is always relative, and so we thank God for his word. So we're going to pray first. Let's pray. Gracious God, <clears throat> we thank you today. <clears throat> we honor you. We bless you for this opportunity once again to be under your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. It's true. And, Lord, we have confidence in your word. We love you, Lord, with a love that never ends. We love you, God, that you loved us with a love that's unconditional and God, we bless you today in all things. Lord, I decrease so that you can increase. And you will speak to your people, and we will hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. <clears throat> amen. All right, so in, in reviewing uh, chapter 2 where um, Peter really encouraged us to, to submit ourselves to the authorities and to be, submittive, to be submissive um, as God has ordained and God has um, demanded, and so we're going to look at that submission. We're going to look at it in family first. But what makes up a community is that God had ordained is our family, our church, and our government. And so Peter offers us a call to submit, and at the same time, he encourages us through our submission. So let's look at chapter three, verse one. You have your Bibles or whatever it is that you use to read from the NIV version. 
All right, are you ready? Wives. There's a comma there. <laughs> so I'm going to take my time. All your wives looking at that saying, mm-hmm, and? <laughs> Husband's like, come on, come on. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. There's the pressure. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. All right. Wives, in the same way, which is a continuation of what Peter was saying in chapters 2 and chapters 1. More recently, chapter 2, as we read, um, saw last week. In the same way, be submissive as Christ has commanded. Be submissive to your own Husbands, right? Being submissive does not mean obeying all the time. Right? Right. Especially if your husband wants you to do something that's against God. Right? So be submissive to your own husband, wives, so that if they do not believe the word, they will be won over by your actions without words, your behavior without words. Meaning Peter is encouraging us or encouraging wives to let the inner beauty and purity that God has gifted you with be your words. You don't have to beat your husband over the head with the Bible and saying, believe this, follow this, use this. You need this. No, the gift and purity that God has put in you will win them over. Now, does that mean that you have to keep quiet all the time and not say a word? No, it just means the way to win them is to do as God said it. Let your inner beauty and your purity and your reverence for God, let it speak for you. Actions speak louder than words. Amen. So instead of focusing, Peter is talking about focusing on the, the braided hair, the outward, the external adornment and the wearing of jewelry. And, and there's nothing wrong with looking good. <clears throat> Amen. I love for my wife to look good. Amen. It's, it's you know, <clears throat> Peter's not saying be raggedy, let your hair just loose, let it go anywhere. You know, let your hair do be a hair don't, you know, just go and do, <laughs> do what you want to do. He's saying, take pride in yourself. Of course, you know, you want to look good. But he's saying that focus more on what God has given you on the inside because that's the gift. And the gift never gets old. The gift never gets gray. The gift, gift never falls out. Okay? The gift is there. He's encouraging them. Use the beauty because the glamour that that you might try to dress up in to be impressive and to, to win them over, the glamour, that's only something that you're manufacturing, all right? But the gift that God has put in you is the glory, and that glory must be manifested. 
right? The glamour is manufactured, but the glory is manifested because it's internal and it's God-given and it's God-driven and it's God-living, all right? So you've got to let that internal beauty be your witness. Submit to your own husbands. If they are not believers in the word, don't chase them around the house with the Bible. Don't throw a CD in all the time and say, ooh, I'm going to put this Bible CD so he can listen to it. And when he get in, maybe he'll get saved. No. The gentleness of your spirit, praying for him. Sometimes it might even bring you to tears. But that unconditional love, not the judgment, but that unconditional love will win them. They don't believe the word. They will believe by your actions. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. I asked my wife, I said, why do they call it a permanent? <laughs> and you have to go back every three months. <laughs> That's a temporary. <laughs> not a permanent. Oh, I got to go get my perm. You mean your temp. <clears throat> a lot of effort put into the outward adornment, the glamour, but less sometimes you might put in on the internal beauty that God has established that's glorious, that's forever, that Christ reverences and he honors and he loves, and he'll use that in your life. Wearing of gold and jewelry, fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading, listen to that, the unfading beauty. Yes, your gold might fade, especially if it's not real gold. It might fade. The beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth. Listen to that. It's of great worth in God's sight, in God's sight. What better to be of great use of than in the sight of God? For God to look on you and say, you are beautiful on the inside. You are glorious on the inside. Let me use what's in you so that you can win that unbelieving husband. What if my, someone might be asking, what if my husband is not unbelieving? What if he is a believing husband? Well, sometimes husbands get hard-headed. Sometimes husbands are hard to deal with. I I know. My wife will tell you, you know, sometimes, you know, you just got to, you got to be patient. You got to be patient. You got to be patient with us. Yeah. So they might be believing, but sometimes we might just get off track or we might be, you know, just difficult. Yeah, that's true. Right? Let your inner beauty pull me back. Because yeah. if, if, if you get a new hairstyle and I don't recognize it, <laughs> until I look in the checkbook and see, $75. I like your hair. You didn't notice it before? No. But give me time. It is a permanent, right? <laughs> so, great worth in God's sight. 
For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, certainly we're not saying, you know, I'm, I, I would not require my wife to call me Lord. All right? <clears throat> I just, just wouldn't. I, I wouldn't even want to, I couldn't even stand in the same level of, 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 of Lord. But he's saying that to reverence and acknowledge the position that God has placed in the family. You see, family is in crisis right now. Families are in crisis. Our families are under attack. Marriages, the divorce rate for Christians is, 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 is creeping up there to as, as high as non-believers. So our families are under great attack. Our marriages and our families, raising our kids. You know, God established a family, said the husband is to be the leader. God has entrusted that. This is exactly says in, in Ephesians. God entrusts husbands with the leadership of the family unit. A husband is to love his wife as he loves himself. A wife is to submit to the leadership of her husband, coming alongside him as a helpmate. Parents are responsible to train their children and children Children, children are to honor and obey their parents. So God, God's got something for everybody in the family. Now, you might think, well, the husband's got the best because they're, they're the leaders. They're on top. No, the husband's got to love the wife as Christ loved the church. Do you know the pressure that is? You got to love. When I think about my wife and loving her, I say, would Christ do this to the church? Would he treat the church like this? So husbands, you got to love them. You got to be considerate. Verse 7 gets down and says, husbands, in the same way, again, that's a continuation of in the same way, even as in the same way, submit. You have to be considerate as you live with your wives. Be considerate as you live. Respect them. Respect your wives as you live with them. And live with them means physically, emotionally, Mentally, financially, intimately, in all of these things, you must be considerate. You have no business staying out all hours of the night and your wife doesn't know where you are. Well, I'm a man. I can do, I don't want, my mama, she, I don't live with my mom no more. I live, I'm, I'm a man. I can stay out whenever I want, go home when I want to. You're not being considerate. I ain't cooking. I ain't cleaning up. That's her job. You're not being considerate. Are your hands broken? Do your feet not work? Do you want to eat? Be considerate. Your, my, my wife works just like I do. When she comes home and sometimes she's tired, I said, I'll cook dinner. <laughs> she said, thank you. And I enjoy it. But see, it's not something I have to do every day. No. It's something that I do because I'm considerate of where she is and what she has to face and what she's gone through. So I do that as I would think Christ would do for the church. So I love her. I'm considerate of that. So consider her. Treat her. Treat her with respect. 
Now, if I could skip over this next part, I would, but I'm not. Treat her with respect as the weaker partner. <laughs> weaker only meaning physically, okay? And that's not always true either, okay? But in the general sense, because back then, you know, many times wives were 15 to 20 years younger than the husbands, okay? And they were married when they were young, as we would consider minors, Okay, and the husbands were, you know, they were older and so they were stronger and, and so on and so forth. So you are to protect them. You are to cherish them. You are to love them. You are to watch out for them. You are to be, surround them with love and protection and hope. So it's not an insult when he says as the weaker partner. He's just really putting that in the position of God has set the, the man as the head. And really the woman, is, is, I heard someone say, is, is the neck. And if there's no neck, where's the head? Where does the head get its strength from? If I didn't have a neck, you know, I'd have a head that just would sit there. And it might not. It might roll around. But you need a neck. So the wife is like the neck. She helps. She, she, we don't make decisions without deciding together. So it's not like I, I say, this is what we're going to do. I'm putting my foot down. This is what we're going to do. Okay? No, it's let's do the best for the family. But when it comes down and have to give an account to it, it's the husband that gives an account. And, I, and God, I don't want to be like Adam and say, it's the woman you gave me. I want to say, I want to take responsible because you, I want to be responsible because this is where you put me as the head. The woman helps us. She's a helpmeet. Your wife is a helpmeet. She guides you. So be considerate. The family is under crisis, but there's hope. There's hope for the family. There's hope for the family. If we all get in the position that God has ordained and God has set and God has called, there is hope, and that hope is in Christ. All right? Then we go to the church, our other institution that God has ordained, go to the church. The church is in crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know that Sundays are, Sundays no longer belong to the church. You know Sundays belong to now? N-F-L. I heard it this morning, a report, it said Sundays used to be the church day, but now it's the NFL's day. Church is scheduled around Packer games, you know, we got to get out before the Packer game. Folks get mad at preaching too long because the kickoff is coming. <laughs> Crisis. Crisis. Dare rush the Holy Spirit to do his work because I got to see A-Rod. God. Now, God's not threatened by the NFL. No. He's not threatened by it. It's good to have social things that we enjoy and that we love, but the church is under crisis, which means the crisis is not just on Sunday. The crisis is through the week. When you have the, when you have the church being questioned and you have the evangelical um, branch of the church being questioned and being looked at because they're out um, holding signs and saying that um, you're, you're, you know people are going to hell and God hates this and God hates that and you know and they're confused because they say wait a minute wait a minute what is all this spewing of hatred 
This is the church. We are to love. Now, it doesn't mean that we, we look past things that are wrong, but we are not judges. We don't judge people. God is the judge. God is the judge. But we are to lift the light. We are to lift the standard. We are to love. We, just like the wife is to let the inner beauty, the church has got to let the beauty of God. Now, I'm not saying we don't evangelize, we don't preach, and we don't do those things. We do those things. But people will see your life and how you treat others before they ever listen to you. Because maybe they've heard enough talk and they want to see some action. Don't preach to me, pastor, about love. And then you go out and you, you um, walk past people who are in need and you know that you can help and you don't even help them. What kind of compassion is that? That's not Christ-like. Christ never passed up an opportunity as far as we read. He healed. He fed. He took time to pray. The church is in crisis. Jesus said in the word, he said, thou art peeing upon this rock, I will build my church in the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. So we have a place and we are ordained to be God's body that touches the world. We are God's hands. We are God's feet. We are God's shoulders. We are God's arms that touch the world. And so we are under crisis and Peter gives us this this word from um, suffering, he says, for doing good. He said, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. This is what he's saying to us, the believers, that we must be compassionate, we must be humble, we must love one another, we must be sympathetic. We must submit to the authority of God. The church must submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. To be compassionate. He goes on. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Sometimes we, 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 we don't take Christ with us. We leave Christ on the shelf or we make Christ our last resort or we say, oh, you know what? When, when things get hot and tough, then I'll call on him. When, things, when, 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 when folks do bad against us, we want to do bad against them. But Peter says, listen, you might, you're going to suffer for doing good because you're God's people. And the, and the world is not going to look on you as how you see you. The world is not your home. Christ said in, cha in, in chapter 17 of St. John, when Jesus prayed, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all of us that would come. And he said, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, they are in the world. They are, not, they are in the world, but they are not of the world. So meaning that this world is not our home. We understand that. So don't get upset. Don't get discouraged. Don't lose hope because the world is not comfortable for us. The world is not meant to appease us. The world is not built to make us like everything that's going on. We, don't, we, we get discouraged about all of the political things that are happening. Listen, they're not asking Christians, what should we do? They're doing what the world wants to do, and we have to live through it, and we have to pray and keep our hope that Christ is going to keep us through it. So instead of praying, Lord, change this world so it'll be comfortable to me. No, pray, Lord, help me to survive in this world. It's a totally different prayer. You get discouraged because things aren't working out. Because they're not making it comfortable for me. This world is not our home. 
We are pilgrims just passing through. Jesus said, I go away and I go prepare a place for you. This is not what he prepared for us. But he will keep us as we pass through this. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Peter's really teaching us how to live as a church. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. So the eyes of the Lord are on us, the righteous. We are righteous because we are in right standing with God. And that is because of Christ, not because of us. So his eyes are upon us. He sees what we're suffering through. He sees what we're going through. He sees and understands the pressures that we have. He sees them because his eyes are on us. That's how we can keep our hope alive because his eyes are on us. And he's attentive to our prayers. He hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. I, think, I know sometimes we wonder that if God really hears our prayers because it doesn't seem like anything is being done. Well, he has a will and he has a way and he has a timing for what he does. But it doesn't mean for us to stop praying. The prayers of the righteous avail much, right? So we pray, we seek God, we keep that hope going. Because Christ will come through. So the church is under attack. The church is in crisis. But our hope is in Christ. He's attentive to us. He's attentive to our prayers. His eyes are on us. That's our hope. That's our hope. We have that hope in Christ. It's an alive hope. It's a living hope. It's a constant hope. It's a hope that we can wake up every day, every morning, and say, I have a new hope. I have a hope. His, His mercies are renewed every day. He daily loads us with benefits. One of those benefits is hope. We have hope. Peter goes on, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Verse 13. Verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone that asks you why you have your hope. And who is our answer? Jesus Christ is our answer. I have hope. I have hope because I have Christ. I have hope because Christ lives. I have hope because every day he makes himself alive in me. I'm aware that he's living And he is moving. I'm aware that my hope cannot fade when it's in Christ. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never fail me. That is a hope that I have. When they ask you how can you be hopeful when things are are, are just in crisis and going wrong, even when when we move to the third institution, which is the government or the schools and all the things that are happening around us, law enforcement, how can you have a hope? Even as being as an African-American man, they say, how can you be hopeful? I know you're Christian, but you're an African-American man and you're living in in a society that seems to be against you. How can you be hopeful? Because God doesn't see color. 
God doesn't see color, but society may. I may be treated differently because of the color of my skin. But I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that Christ will keep me and protect me, and Christ will allow me to be victorious in whatever it is that I'm going through. But it's a sad state when, when in this society that you have to live in fear because you don't know whether your kids, your son, I have two sons, two sons, African-American sons, that you're, you, you, you're fearful that are they going to make it home tonight? Are they going to be the victim of something so stupid? When I was growing up, I didn't have to worry about that. I just went where I went and, and did what I did. But now you just never know what might happen. We're in crisis. Our community is in crisis. And two African-American men go into a Starbucks and they're arrested, waiting for a friend to talk business. But because they didn't buy any coffee, they're arrested. Without incident. Handcuffed and taken out, detained for several hours because the color of their skin. We have the amount of unarmed men being shot because they're in the wrong place at the wrong time and they're in the, the wrong color at the wrong place. It's a crisis. It should not be this way, but it is. When the authorities are more against you than for you, you think, Christ, how can this be? How can we survive in a world like this? And it's not just, I'm just speaking from one angle. It's, 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 it's across the board. Our society is, is just not where it should be. People hating each other for no good reason. People against each other for no good reason. Can't get along for no good reason. Because we're under attack. And it's not because of color, it's because of sin. That's the bottom line. That families, government, and churches are under attack because of the criticism, because of the pressure that they have from the external. But Lord, we need something internally so that we can defeat that which is external. And that which is internal is our hope. It's our hope. Hope doesn't have a color. Hope is in Christ. Hope doesn't have an economic level. It's not low income or mid income or high income. It's hope in Christ. Hope doesn't live. It's not, it, hope is not just in the projects. Hope is across the board. It's in commerce. It's in academia. It's in business. It's everywhere. It's in the church. We have hope. And we must cling to that hope. We must thank God for that hope. We must get up every day and say, Lord, thank you for a new hope that I have today. Thank you, God, for keeping me. Thank you, God, for giving me a determination that even though things are against me, God, I'm determined to make it. Even though they look at me funny, God, I'm holding on to the hope of my calling that's in Christ Jesus. And just in case you think, or are we wondering, at the end, who's going to win? <laughs> Submitting to God is the best thing. Because Peter ends this chapter saying, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers 
in submission to him. So at the end, everything is going to submit to him. So even though temporary, what we're going through, Christ is going to come out at the top. Christ is going to win. So instead of me waiting till the end when all things will be submitted, I'm going to submit to him now because at the end, I'm going to have to submit anyway. But because I know that he's my hope, he's my joy, he's my peace, he's my strength, I commit to him. I submit to him now. Because he will keep me and help me through everything that I face. There's hope for us. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your business. There's hope for your health. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for your schooling. There's hope. And that hope is in Christ. When we realize that he is the ultimate answer to everything, then things may not seem to be as overwhelming. When we lay our lives into his hands and say, Christ, have your way and do what you desire to do because my hope is in you. Watch him move and work in your life. Watch him work and move in your life. See, the problem is, is that we try to do his job for him. We try to help God out. Yes, we try to assist God. I'm right here, God. I'll help you. you. God does not need your help. He doesn't need your help. So trust in him. Turn it over to him. Keep your hope, God. Keep your hope, Christ. We're in crisis, but we have families of tab. Archers are like we have hope. Government, we have hope. We have hope. Look, they all prayers. They don't get care you. Our government, but we have hope. <laughs> we have hope. Our schools, we have hope. They take, they took, look, look, we could be all, they took prayer out of the school. Okay. But they don't take, they can't take prayer out of you. Nothing stops, nothing stops your students or your teachers for praying on your own. No. You take it out of school, no. They can't take it out of you. Pray for your schools. Pray for your students, teachers. Pray for your teachers. Teachers, pray for your principals and administrators. They are under attack. They're in crisis. They're trying to figure out how are we going to do this? How are we going to prepare these kids for the future? Our hope is in Christ. We don't have the answers, but Christ will lead us. Christ will lead you. Christ will lead us. Hallelujah. He is the answer. Amen? Christ is the answer. And I'm telling you, he is Christ. And I, I, I leave you with these words. Don't wait, Christ. Realize Christ is. For something, Christ is life. Realize he, he does. Don't wait for something to happen that's a crisis in your life for you, to realize, for you to realize who Christ is. He is our hope. He died on the cross. He rose again. 
He ascended up to the Father, and he sits on the right hand of God. And our hope is a living hope in him. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, we come before you today. Thanking you, God, for the hope that we have in you. Thanking you, God, that our living stones, we have a living hope. We honor you today because you are in control of all things. And, Lord, we ask that you will forgive us for any sin in our lives. Of those who have not received you, have not become followers of you, to accept you today and to ask you to forgive them for their sins. Confess, profess that you are the Son of God, that you died for their sins and you rose for their life. And that today, through grace and faith, they are saved. And they have hope in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Yes. Amen.